Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. This is King of Glory's Adult Bible Study Sunday morning. We are looking at martyrs, and for, we are in our third week. And it is, it is just so exciting for me because of this season that we're in. And it, I think we're, we're all, you all were, at, anyone who was not at the 8 o'clock worship, I think we all were at the 8 o'clock worship. And, you know, we have that sense in these last four weeks before Advent begins because we're looking to next week, Sunday of the fulfillment of all time, Christ the, the King of Glory, who comes, Christ the King. And, and so we're looking at, remember, end times. <laughs> and that is, we hear that. In what we, and we're going to hear those perspectives today and next week in the writings that come from that second century within a hundred or so years of Jesus. These writings come down to us. And so, yeah, it's lengthy. That's why I put some color in there so at least we can find things every now and then. I can say, well, go to red on page, whatever. Um, I'll just close this so we, but people surely should come in. So, let's, uh, you will see today, I put a map up here. I'm not a map head, but I really like the colors. (laughs) So, we will be following Bishop Ignatius, who lives in Syria, Antioch. And he goes over, he takes a land route, we'll talk about it later. He goes up then to Smyrna, spends some time there, writes to three churches, then goes up to Troas and writes back to churches. Okay, so we're, we're going to see all, all of that. Your handout gives our overview uh, of the four weeks. So we're with Ignatius right now. I just have to find my clicker. There it is. Uh, here, I believe, is the... Oh, no, this is from last week. I forgot to put this in. Last week, if you if you were here, if you were not, we looked at the deaths of the apostles. And we don't have many early documents. We have a lot of legends. We have, an, 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 um, we, we have things from the 2nd century, 3rd century, a little later, uh, and then definitely Eusebius, 4th century, telling us what the church accepted as valid writings, but this is a map that shows where the apostles went and then if they, you know, where they may have died. But so much of it is legend. Um, but that's kind of helpful. We see where the gospel went. Remember the, the um, Acts 2, Peter, all these Jews are in town because of the Pentecost, their festival, the birthday of Judaism, the giving of the law, and the <clears throat> Jewish legend writes that when and it comes out of Josephus, that when God gave the law, a huge flame went around the whole earth, and everyone heard his voice in their own tongue. And so when the day of Pentecost, which is a Jewish holiday, they're there celebrating, it would make perfect sense to those open to the move of the Spirit that if God had come into their presence with the spirit, flames of fire might appear. So anyway, but you know those those spots that they talked about, Bithynia and stuff, when you read in Acts 2, if you're the reader and you hate to get that day, 
of reading because of all those places you can't pronounce. But this is where they know Okay. But remember, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, but rejoice that you share in Christ's suffering. We looked at First Peter last week, and much of his writing is in that book is about suffering to come. So remember, from the very beginning we've been saying we're talking, thinking, pondering, and hopefully beginning to act in some way on these topics. Thinking about living to die and dying to live. It's attributed to Elizabeth Elliot, the one whose husband died in um, Ecuador, right? Uh, the, the Nate Saint and Jim Elliot and some missionaries who died in the jungles of Ecuador. I think I've got that right. It's attributed to her online, but nobody ever puts where she said this, so I'm not sure if she's the one who said for the first time, if something's not worth Something's not worth living for if it's not worth dying for. I don't know if she was quoting someone or if that's just a mis misattribution, but thinking about dying to live, living to die. And the, pur- the purpose and the point of martyrdom, it's not about the martyr. We keep going back to what it's about, and we'll get to that more today, and how those early believers you know, prepared for their, give it a Williamsburg huzzah. Okay. There we go. And I'm sorry, I don't know why this did this. Again, I want us to think in terms of what Robin Darling says in Procession Before the World, that early church writers share these convictions. The sacrifice of martyrs publicly defeats the sacrifices that those Roman emperors were were making of the lives of Christians. That male and female, and she points out, male and female combatants needed intensive training, and that that would include words and example. I'm sorry, that's wrong. And the understanding of martyrdom as a public liturgy that all the world may know. Maybe those folks in the arena weren't ever going to set or had never set foot in a Roman villa when they were sharing the Eucharist and listening to the memoirs of the apostles that had been written and sent to them. But they would hear at a sacrifice of that martyr his belief in who Jesus is. So that's where we are in all of this today. So today, we are going to, this is from a little a little calendar book for Basil the, what does it say, second, um, Byzantine Empire, I think. Anyway, this is a little uh, illumination for the idea of the martyrdom of Ignatius. And he does meet the beasts in Rome. And it's his letters that we have excerpts from in our far too lengthy <laughs> handout today. So maybe we should get on with it. Um, so let's open, if I keep this with me so that I can see it, we'll open with a psalm, portion of a psalm as our prayer, and we will just alternate back and forth. So men, if you would begin for us. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him. 
because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And I think we could agree to say, Amen. Okay, so just in terms of thinking back through, we looked at Stephen, we looked at the deaths of the apostles, and in all of them what we find is a bold proclamation of who Jesus is. Stephen against the Jews, and those, those Jewish leaders were so infuriated at him. Then as we get to the 12, and today with Ignatius, next week with Polycarp, Rome itself, who Jesus is, and then an eternal perspective that is displayed that says that Jesus is the ultimate ruler. It is his reign the martyr cares about. If there are two kingdoms we live in, you know, uh, that there's a kingdom that's higher than the other kingdom, and that's the ruler that these martyrs will bow to. And we will hear over and over again, this is about that all may know. The idea of a public liturgy where we see heaven and earth come together. Uh, we saw it with Stephen. The clouds open, and he declared that he saw Jesus. We saw that in some of the stories of the apostles. We will hear it again with Ignatius. We, we don't have a first-person account of Ignatius' death, but we have the letters he wrote, and then later we know from other writers when, when everything happened. So, but it's all about that those who haven't been within our walls would know what it is the church, those Christians, proclaim about Jesus. So, maybe, maybe you know, I haven't done this before, but I think I'm going to read just, just a tad here from um, Origen. He's, he's third century, writing his father died as a martyr. He would, he, Origen would later be in about 254, maybe, I think, it's the 250s, um, was tortured, persecuted and tortured, and released, but died a few days later, so he is considered a red martyr, one who died blood. A white martyr is one who was persecuted but didn't die. Um, this is what Origen wrote to younger believers in a, a, a fairly lengthy um, treatise called An Exhortation to Martyrdom. And God says through the prophet, in an acceptable time, I've heard you, and in a day of salvation, I've helped you. And he references Isaiah 49.8 and 2 Corinthians 6. And we'll look at this again next week. What other time then is more acceptable, Origen says, than when for piety, God in Christ, I'm sorry, when in piety towards God in Christ, we are led under guard in procession before the world. So, so what would be a better time for God to make sure that we understand he's heard our cries than when we're being led in procession before the world, celebrating a triumph rather than being led in triumph. And boy, didn't we hear that in the hymns this morning? Didn't we hear that in, in uh, and in fact, I, I could barely get through some of the hymns this morning because I knew what we were talking about today. And, I mean, Rise, my soul, to watch and pray from your sleep awakened. Be not by the evil day unawares or taken. For the foe, well we know, is a harvest reaping while the saints are sleeping. Watch against the devil's snares, lest asleep he find you. For indeed, no pains he spares 
to deceive and blind you. Satan's prey oft are they who secure our sleeping and no watch are keeping. That's why Origen would write an exhortation to younger believers to be wide awake and be prepared for the battle is coming. And we're going to hear that kind of terminology in Ignatius today. So three things we want to look at. We want to look for, as we look at these seven letters, we want to look for bold proclamation, for eternal perspective, and then that idea that this is so that the world may know who Jesus is. Okay, the trial before Trajan. Trajan is emperor. He has come to Antioch, and you now have have a map, and you can see, we'll go back to that other map, but right now we're over in Antioch, over the little right on the map that you have on your page. And this is Ephesus. We, didn't, we don't have one from <laughs> Syria, but when we were in Ephesus, we took that picture, I'm sure. And so on your, on your handout, page one, the trial before Trajan. And I will, yeah, I won't, I won't read anymore. You can look this up online. I've always got the, the references. Okay. Trajan answered, and who is Theophorus? Uh, Ignatius loved the name. Maybe it was his baptismal name. I don't know. I don't know where we get the name. Theophorus. Uh, God-bearer, the one who brings God to you. He loved that name. He uses it in his letters. And he'd been announced to Trajan as Theophorus. And Theophorus says, and who is Theophorus? And Ignatius replied, he who has Christ within his breast. So notice, he's not claiming he's the only God-bearer. <laughs> he's claiming anyone who has Christ within his breast. Trajan answered, or said, do we not then seem to you to have the gods in our mind? whose assistance we enjoy in fighting against our enemies? Ignatius answered, Thou art, this is to the emperor, (laughs) Thou art in error when thou callest the demons of the nations gods, for there is but one God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that are in them. Can't Can't you hear the scripture coming out when he's speaking? And one Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, whose kingdom may I enjoy. And then it goes on, and then we get down to, then Trajan pronounced sentence as follows. We command that Ignatius, who affirms that he carries about with him, him, him that was crucified, be bound by soldiers and carried to the great city, Rome, there to be devoured by the beasts for the gratification of the people. Is that not a sick one? When the holy martyr heard this sentence, he cried out with joy. I thank thee, O Lord, that thou hast vouchsafed to honor me with a perfect love towards thee and hast made me to be bound with iron chains like thy apostle Paul. Having spoken thus, he then with delight. Please remember we read Peter saying, rejoice when you're persecuted. We heard Jesus in the last couple of weeks saying, rejoice. We hear it in the Beatitudes. Okay, having thus spoken, he then with delight clasped the chains about him. And when he had first prayed for the church and commended it with tears to the Lord, and I believe they mean his, the church in Antioch, and this is probably... He may be a bishop, a, a leader. A, a bishop in that time doesn't mean someone in a hierarchical position. It's, it, it is, um, it, he probably was an elder, elder statesman of many, many of the house churches in Antioch. 
Okay, and so he was revered as their overseer. So he, he prays for the church in Antioch, commends it to the, with tears to the Lord, was hurried away by the savage cruelty of the soldiers, like a distinguished ram, the leader of a goodly flock, that he might be carried to Rome, there to furnish food to the bloodthirsty beasts. That's our setup. Okay. So we find that same faith that we heard about, in, that we read of in Stephen, that we hear about in the legends that have come down to us of Peter and Paul, the writings that come down to us, um, the same kind of perspective. So let's begin to look. Well, you know what? Um, yeah, we're, we're going to go to the next page because this will give us, there are seven letters. And I just give you that to say, when you see at the end of a, uh, of a paragraph where there's a, I'm quoting from one of his letters, if it says E-P-H, it's not the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians, but it's Bishop Ignatius's Ephesians. So anytime you see you know, Romans 5, that means these letters, the epistles of Ignatius. Okay, so here's our map again. He starts out, and now we'll go onto your handout. We'll stay there for a while. Um, and I just thought I'd give you a typical greeting. This is very typical to the Ephesians. Uh, page two, under the red here. <laughs> and we have a typical greeting. Ignatius, who is also called Theophorus to the church, which is at Ephesus in Asia, deservedly most happy, being blessed. He goes on and on, just talking about who Jesus is, that it should always be this, this, this God the Father, Christ coming down from God, predestinated before time, always for an enduring and unchangeable glory, being united and elected through the true passion by the will of the Father and Jesus Christ our God, abundant happiness through Jesus Christ and his undefiled grace. This is, this is a typical greeting at the beginning of the seven letters, and I've given you the references in the footnotes. We won't take time. We've read some of these. Linda, go ahead. What area, what time is this? Oh, I'm sorry. I should have said that. We believe, well, we know that Trajan rules until 117. So Ignatius was born, I believe, in around 35. So he's born around the time Jesus has died. So, but he has grown up within the church. Okay, he's in Syria. He is this leader, and we are at this point, just after the turn of that century, possibly as early as 107, 108. We're not exactly sure. Okay, but thank you for asking because I meant to say that. Yeah. So, so you, and Ignatius was a follower of John, the apostle. And Polycarp next week, the same. A follower of John, the apostle, heard about Jesus from John, who had walked with Jesus, who had sat at the Lord's Supper with Jesus. That's why, that's why this is so exciting to me, because these are very early documents, and they introduce us to people in this early time period that probably we Lutherans haven't, haven't read about or heard about. So thank you for asking that. Okay, so we get first bold proclamation. And so I've chosen some excerpts from some of the letters that show us what, what was his last will and testament. I, um, he's journeying with the soldiers, land route over to Smyrna, and he will write to Ephesus, to Trallis, Magnesia, and 
Rome, off the map. Okay. And we'll get to his letter to Rome at the end. He talks more about facing martyrdom there than in any of the others. So we will wait and look at that. But So we're going to hear from that. And then he will leave Smyrna and go up, I don't know how he got there, but to, where are we going? To Troas. I'm bad at looking at things. Where's Troas? Oh, here it is. It's in the box. Thank you. <laughs> That's why I couldn't find it. From Troas, he writes back to Philadelphia. And then he writes back to Smyrna. It was his first time there, and he met Polycarp while he was there. And he also wrote to Polycarp. So we're going to hear some of that, and we're going to hear next week from Polycarp about Ignatius. So, and, and again. Okay, so let's hear. It's very intriguing. Remember, um, we, you know, we grow up in the 20th century, 21st century. Our kids are growing up. Christianity has come down to us. We have catechisms in CCD. We have the Book of Concord for us Lutherans. The Catholics have all their councils. And every, you know, we have the Apostles' Creed. We have the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. So we know who Jesus is, right? You know, Son of God, Son of Man. And around 100 AD, this is still being worked out still being wrestled with. And, and so to see such a clear, on page two, a clearly developed Christology, who Jesus is as early as the turn of the century, to me is phenomenal. It, does, it means for me that the faith we proclaim that has come out of the fourth century, Apostles' Creed, the other creeds, really goes back. A long, long way. So let's see what we get in, in this first quotation, uh, right under a clearly developed Christology, second half of the first page. We have also as a physician, the Lord our God, Jesus the Christ, the only begotten Son and Word. Maybe you can read it with me. I'm on that second line. The only begotten Son and Word, before time began, but who afterwards became also man of Mary the Virgin. For the word was made flesh. Being incorporeal, he was in the body. Being impassable, he was in a passable body. Being immortal, he was in a mortal body. Being life, he became subject to corruption, that he might free our souls from death and corruption, and heal them, and might restore them to health when they were diseased and wicked lusts. Now, this is, this is phenomenal to me that we see this so very early. But I have to share with you that Andrew Louth, 20th, 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 20th century, um, he did a, a, a version of, worked with uh, uh, Maxwell Stanworth, or however you say his name, on a translation of Ignatius's letters. And Louth took what we just read and put it into a poem. He said, a lot of scholars consider what we just read probably an early hymn that they might have sung or a creedal thing that we get Ignatius writing. And, and I just love his footnote to this poem, but we're going to look at the poem. The rhythmical nature of this passage has tempted some commentators to see it as an excerpt from an early Christian hymn, a temptation which I have not resisted. <laughs> so here we have Louth's way of putting it. There is only one physician, read it with me, very flesh, yet spirit too, uncreated and yet born, God and man in one agreed, very life in death indeed, fruit of God and Mary's seed, 
at once impassable and torn by pain and suffering here below, Jesus Christ, who must be fabulous I mean they're and 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 they really do think that what Ignatius was writing there the churches may have been saying with one another as they gather I'll go back to the map there so that's what we've got the next one uh, the next the next quotation under bold proclamation a clearly developed Christology last paragraph on page two um, I yeah let my spirit be counted as nothing and again you could look back to First Peter two eight Isaiah eight we looked at that last week for the sake of the cross which is a stumbling block again Peter um, to those that do not believe Isaiah and Peter I'm sorry those that do not believe but to us salvation and life eternal where is the wise man where the disputer Right out of first, and I'm sorry, that's First Corinthians one. I did, the footnote didn't. I didn't type the whole thing. Where is the boasting of those who are styled prudent? For our God, now he's calling Jesus God. Our God, Jesus Christ, was according to the appointment of God, conceived in the womb by Mary, of the seed of David. But by the Holy Ghost, we get this Trinitarian faith this early. He was born and baptized that by his passage he might purify the water, the baptismal water. Priests are, next page, priests are indeed good, but the high priest is better. Remember, if you, you know, we've read the book of the Hebrews, you know, written to the Hebrews um, in the New Testament. High priest, Jesus, to whom the holy of holies has been committed and who alone has been trusted with the secrets of God. I'm going to go on down to the last, the bolding in the end of that first paragraph on page three. For the beloved prophets announced him, but the gospel is the perfection of immortality. All these things are good together if ye believe in love. He's writing to the Philadelphia city of love. There's a little wordplay there. All of this is obvious if you believe in what your city says it is all about, love. And, and, I, and I also want you to know, because sometimes we'll get different, differing translations for what I printed out, I decided to use what is already online and available for free, but I footnoted it on the first page, but ANF means this Anti-Nicene Fathers, volume one, you could find it, the footnote, the first footnote of the, on page one tells you, if you wanted to go read it, this is what it is, but this, but these are a translation from the mid to late 1800s, scholars today, and we'll get to one of those in a few minutes, that maybe update what we think the real wording might have been. And that's this next one, the second paragraph. To Bishop Ignatius, and that's why our Catholic brothers and sisters hold Ignatius in high regard as far as their hierarchy is concerned. They look back to Ignatius' letters, and I've quoted here in the second paragraph on page three, one to Smyrna, okay, Smyrna, where Polycarp is from, and the He's, he's meeting him there. He's writing back. See that you all follow the bishop, even as Jesus Christ does the Father, and the presbytery as you would the apostles, and reverence the deacons as being the institution of God. Let no man do anything connected with the church without the bishop. Let them be deemed a proper Eucharist, which is administered either by the bishop or by one, or by one to whom he has entrusted it. Wherever the bishop shall appear, there let the multitude of the people also be, even as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. 
This is the first time in history that we get the term Catholic Church. Philip Schaff in the mid, late 1800s capitalized the C. Andrew Louth in his translation and Bart Ehrman, who's a highly regarded translator, always uses lowercase c meaning universal, like we might use it in the Apostles' Creed. So, but, but for our Catholic brothers and sisters, this is a very important paragraph saying, you don't do anything without the bishop. Okay. But what he's calling them to, they will also admit, and that is unity. As you read Ignatius's letters, if you, if you were to sit down, you know, it's what, uh, maybe 20 pages of, of print, uh, I can't recall what it is. Um, his letters are about the bold proclamation of who Jesus is, but getting it right. And he feels that within community, and we do believe this as Lutherans, within community, we will find together that truth, taking the scriptures and the faith that's been handed down to us to know who Jesus is. And, um, well, anyway, we're reactions. I should, I should let you talk for a minute. Yeah. Anything you're hearing that you're surprised at? Anything that is touching you? Yes, John. Yeah, just the first thing struck me, why is Trajan, if he's emperor, spending any time at all with this? I mean, was he, do we have any information about that? Why did he come to be the one who was putting Ignatius on trial? Because that's huge that even gets to talk to the people that talk to the emperor, much less the emperor. Yeah, we don't know why Trajan was there, and I brought, oh no, I can't find it, um, the, what we have, oh, and Pastor, you might want to tell people just so they know you're not offended. Go ahead. I'm not offended. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to go into it. He warned me he was going to get up and leave. Um, Pliny's letter to Trajan says, I don't know what to do. He's in Bithynia. And we have this as a first, uh, yeah, well, early second century document, historian. And his document says, I don't know what to do with these Christians. It's because it's not illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to cause problems for local governors. And Pliny is a governor, and I thought I threw it in the, I'll probably find it later. Um, Pliny writes to Trajan to say, I'm not sure what to do with them. If they claim to be Christians, if they say that all they do is get together and read, read the scriptures and they sing a hymn to Christ as a God and they share a special meal and then they go out and take care of widows and orphans. He doesn't say widows and orphans. I can't remember the terminology. And Trajan, and he says... But if they are not going to bow down to the emperor, if this is going to be a public thing, I feel they must be tried and put to death. And Trajan writes back and says, yes, you shouldn't seek them out. But if a public problem comes up, they must face trial and death. So that's, we know that that's where Trajan is in the controversy. Of, I mean, because it's not illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. That's, that's a really good question. Thank you for asking that. I meant to bring that up. Thank you. So that's what we have is, yeah, why? Anybody else, Don? Were you going to say something? Okay. Yeah, Kevin. It's not illegal to be a Christian per se, but it's illegal to to fail to give worship to the emperor. Right, right. that is the crime that the Christians are committing. Absolutely. And thus considered atheists. We're going to hear Polycarp called an atheist. And under these persecutions, it's important to remember 
that something like we think something like eighty percent of of the Christians fell away. Yeah. That's a big number. It is a big and number. what becomes huge is once Constantine becomes emperor and Christianity is brought out of the shadows, the um, the terms on which that eighty percent will be allowed back into the church and back into communion is is a huge Well and that's a question even earlier. You know, can yeah. can we let those who had been baptized, who had been, who had celebrated the Lord's Supper with us around our tables in our villas in the, in, in the Roman Empire, and then they worshipped the empire and renounced the emperor and renounced Christ, and then they say they're sorry. Do they get to come back in? Big question. Yes, Linda. The uh, New Testament, as we know it today, is not available to them. Well, now for this group, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. For, 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 because I think we hear, we definitely hear um, Ignatius referencing scriptures. He's referencing Peter. He's referencing the Gospels. He surely knew, but, but it's all new, very new. In, in fact, this um, Andrew Louth, the third paragraph on page three, he says, in the, in the idea of a universal church, Ignatius is prophetic. For the second century saw the establishment of episcopal authority, I meant disagree, as the guarantee of unity and orthodoxy, it, buttre- it was buttressed by an agreed canon of scripture. That's happening in the second century. But you're right, those earliest Christians did not have, did not have the New, New Testament as and, we think of it. But and, thank you. And we don't know who had how much right, we don't. at the time. Right. We know that, that by the time we get to Constantine, there's that you can buy a complete Bible, but we don't know where the first century church letters passed around became that thing in a continuum. And it is, and it is, it is in this. That's why it's so amazing that we get such a fully developed view of Jesus Christology, who Jesus is, this early. And then, if, if we can go on. Um, He's writing to Polycarp, and I just want to take us into that concept of the, the newness of, of orthodoxy, and I've got it in bold, fourth paragraph, page three. He's writing to Polycarp, remember whom he's met now, when he stayed in Smyrna, he's writing from Troas. Let not those who seem worthy of credit, but teach strange doctrines, fill thee with apprehension. Stand firm, as does an anvil which is beaten. It is the part of a noble athlete to be wounded and yet to conquer. He's writing back to Polycarp, who will himself be martyred, and we'll hear about that next week. But you hear what he's saying is there are strange doctrines, and of course we know Paul said that. Um, you know, if, uh, well, okay, I think when he said stand firm, and that's why I wonder, did he have Paul's letter to the Ephesians? Yes. Okay, and Paul in the armor of God says, and having done all, stand. It was one of our daughters, Mandy's confirmation verse. From the, uh, you know, when you put on all the armor and you go to battle and you got nothing left, stand. And I think that's what he's referencing. And we know that they, we know that we know that Ignatius knows the letter that Paul sent to the Ephesians because in his letter to the Ephesians he references it. So he does have it. But what I want to get to is this orthodoxy, who Jesus is, for, for Ignatius, the reason he wants to make sure that they are uniting under a common leader, the bishop, is so that they can root out 
heresy. So we have warnings against heretics. And just quickly, listen to some of them. I've got the definition of docetism here. It's a uh, second to last paragraph there. Docetism, dokine in Greek means to seem or to appear. So docetism was, well, okay, the victors get to write history and get to determine heresies. So (laughs) I do believe that it is heretical to say Jesus only seemed to be a man. He didn't really suffer. Okay, and that's what the docetists were saying. So the paragraph right about under warnings against heresies. Whereas as children of light and truth flee from division and wicked doctrines, but where the shepherd is, there do ye as sheep follow, calling them to listen to the leadership in their congregation. For there are many wolves that appear worthy of credit, who by means of a pernicious pleasure carry captive those that are running towards God, but in your unity they shall have no place. And, and then I just got bolded, and you can read the context. In fact, we heard it in the first paragraph I gave you about clearly defined orthodoxy, that Jesus was impassable, meaning God himself, who can suffer no pain, but became passable as a human being could suffer pain immortal as God, as a man, mortal. And here, just the bolded part. And by his death, whom some deny. Bottom of page three. Let's turn the page to four. We, we get him, uh, and I think that's the same one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, he went on to say, and therefore he whom they rightly waited for, I'm at the top of page four, being come, raised from the dead. He's making a big point that let's remember, Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, others came out of the tombs too. That this is a true story. This is not just legend. Um, you can see bolded in the, the first full paragraph on page four. Jesus, born of Mary, truly born, did eat and drink, truly persecuted, truly crucified and died, truly raised from the dead. Remember Paul writing to the Galatians. Even if an angel comes to you with a different gospel, let him be accursed. That's that's the kind of stuff we are hearing. In what I'm considering it, that we think about it, Ignatius' last will and testament, seven of them, okay, written to say, hold on to what we believe is true. So against a docetism that seemed to be rising in some of the churches, he's writing to confirm what we believe in Jesus. Against Judaism, and we won't take time, but he, he spends a little bit of time saying, hey, no, Christians don't become Jews. Jews become Christians. <laughs> you know, and that's in that paragraph. But he's, he's making sure, just like Paul did, let's not get into saying a person has to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. Let's not say they have to follow the whole law of Moses in order to be a Christian. He writes there, but I think that that's something that's easier for us to, we've already got it back in our memory banks in some little drawers in the library. You know, the, um, let's, let's look at this eternal perspective, middle of page four, evidencing clear faith in Jesus' ultimate name. Take heed then, often to come together to give thanks to God. Bart Ehrman translate that as to celebrate the Eucharist and give glory to God because Eucharistia is that term that comes to us from very, well, mid-second century that the Christians called the table that they shared Eucharistia, 
and it means giving thanks. So take heed then and come together often to give thanks to God and show forth his praise. Get this. When you assemble frequently in the same place, the powers of Satan are destroyed. And the destruction at which he aims is prevented by the unity of faith. We heard that. Uh, Satan's prey. Don't be Satan's prey. Don't be asleep in that first hymn that we heard this morning. And then we're going to hear echoes in this next one to Polycarp, second to last paragraph on page four, of when Peter said, don't fear what they fear. He was quoting Isaiah, and Isaiah was writing to the people whom he just told the Assyrians were going to come and get at God's (coughs) command. God, God was sending the Assyrians against his people. But Isaiah says, don't fear what they fear. And Peter quotes him. Here you hear Ignatius write to Polycarp, and especially we ought to bear all things for the sake of God that he also may bear with us. Be ever becoming more zealous than what thou art. Polycarp's younger. Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time, eternal and invisible, yet who became visible for our sakes and suffered for our sakes. Uh, we won't we won't look at any more of those. Any any reactions here before we move on though? I feel like I'm talking just a little too much. Yeah, can I um, you mentioned the canon of scripture developing you know in time and there being a I think Kevin used the word continuum, which I think is helpful. Yeah, I did. Um, <clears throat> but I, I can't help but think that when they when they definitive like the de- definitely said this is the canon of scripture and sort of sealed that that in part they were looking back on the, the faith that they had received more or less orally yes. you know absolutely that, that time absolutely. And, and or so, the letters yeah yeah and so this becomes informative like letters like this from Ignatius to the different churches informs their accepting of which books they receive into the canon and which books they say no. Absolutely. You know, because there are other people that wrote that they said, no, we won't we won't receive those books into mm-hmm. the canon mm-hmm. for various reasons. And as late as the, the fourth century, um, and then we hear it from Luther too, but Eusebius tells us that they still weren't sure about Second Peter and they weren't sure about James. I mean, and that's exactly what <laughs> what Luther was concerned about in the canon uh, of Scripture. And we talked about yeah. Eusebius Revelation. Yeah. You know, Eusebius, it wasn't in the canon yet. It wasn't firmly in the canon yet when Eusebius was writing his uh, history of the church. He wrote, writes an entire book on just Revelation and his reservations about it. But if you're going to put it in, then I have these stipulations that I want you to consider. Uh, so it's not settled in, in the 4th century, at the start of the 4th century. I, I grew up in you know, Lutheran, Lutheran high school, some of the time, in later years, six, I think 6th, 7th, and 8th, I went to a Lutheran grade school, then Lutheran high school, you know, sat in Lutheran churches, uh, you know, Bethel Bible training, all that kind of stuff, and it had never, it had never hit me till I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, wait, they didn't, they didn't know all this right away. <laughs> this, this was a developing faith. John? Let me 
No, I'm just listening. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So what we have here is this development of the faith. But listen to what's so important to him. The eternal perspective of Jesus' rule and reign as God incarnate. Isn't this what Stephen, the heavens open and he says, I see Jesus on the throne. Okay. And that's what we heard with some of those stories of the apostles. And that's what we get here. We need to move on as it's 1015. So now we get into some of the most, the most compelling, if you're thinking about martyrdom, is the letter written from Smyrna over to the Roman you had to take a ship then to get to So let's just hear some of them. Chapter 1, and it should say on the road from the epistle of Ignatius, and somehow I cut out the epistle off when he typed it. But anyway, as a prisoner, I hope to see you, he says. Through prayer to God, I've obtained the privilege of seeing your most worthy faces. Oh, my brothers and sisters in the Roman church, I'm writing to you now. I mean, doesn't he sound like a pastor? (laughs) And have ever even been granted more than I requested. For I hope as a prisoner in Christ Jesus to salute you, if indeed it be the will of God, that I be thought worthy of attaining unto the end. Let's go to chapter 2, some of this. Don't save me from martyrdom. And and that's a message that's in a 21st century book. A book, Nick Ripken, who went around, um, he doesn't even say who the churches are that he was talking to, the Christians and what churches and what cities persecuted believers. And the message he comes back with is, don't try to work through your governments to get us saved from martyrdom. Share the faith where you are. That's what we're willing to die for. And this is what we hear from Ignatius. For it is not my desire to act towards you as a man pleaser, but as pleasing God, even as also ye please him. For neither shall I ever have such another opportunity of attaining to God. Nor will you, if you'll now be silent, even be entitled to the honor of a better work. For if ye are silent concerning me, I shall become God's. But if you show your love to my flesh, I shall again have to run my race. And you can hear Paul, right? Run my race. Pray then, do not seek to confer any greater favor upon me than that I be sacrificed to God while the altar is still prepared. And then look at the doxology of this. That being gathered together in love, you may sing praise to the Father through Jesus Christ. You can go on and read this. Chapter 3, pray rather that I may attain to martyrdom. Only request in your prayers in my behalf both inward and outer strength. You want to pray for me, Romans? Pray this. Pray that I'll be strong. Don't pray. I'm already convicted. I'm on my way. Trajan said I'm headed to the beasts. So it's done. Now just pray that I'll be strong. But uh, that I may not only speak, but truly will. And that I may not merely be called a Christian, but be found to be one. I mean, yeah, Linda, me too. Then allow me to fall prey to the wild beasts. I'll let you read that at home, just for the sake of time. Turn the page to page six. This is this is kind of cool because we even have it in. I get put it put Lal's footnote here. Uh, Chapter five. I desire to die. 
From Syria, even unto Rome, I fight with beasts both by land and sea, both by night and day, being bound to ten leopards. And Andrew Lauf, and I've given you his footnote there, footnote 17. This is the first known occurrence of the word leopards in literature. Since leopards were well known in Syria, whence they were sometimes brought for exhibition at Rome, the comparison would come naturally to Ignatius. So he's, he's right, he just calls the guards, he's got leopards, but that's just such an intriguing thing. This is, this is I mean, we're, we're talking primary source stuff here, and we find out that this is the first time the word Catholic church is ever used, the word leopards are used. I found that fascinating. All the pleasures, I'm going down, yeah, uh, chapter the six. All the pleasures of the world and all the kingdoms of this earth shall profit me nothing. It is better for me to die in behalf of Jesus Christ than to reign over all the ends of the earth. For what shall a man be profited if he gains the whole, if he gain the whole world but lose his soul? This is the gain I seek. Old proclamation. Here's what we have in the gospel today. But before all this occurs, they're going to arrest you and persecute you, hand you over to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors in my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. Remember, the word martyr in Greek means witness. This will give you an opportunity to witness when you're brought before the governors. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. I mean, we can sometimes read Ignatius, and that's why I want to bring some of these scriptures back into our memory bank. We can read Ignatius and say, oh, he's just trying to be a martyr. He thinks his sacrifice is what's going to say. No. No, he's reflecting in what he writes and what we'll hear about Polycarp next week. The very things we were hearing from Peter last week. Stand firm. Rejoice when you're brought before kings and governors and hear Jesus today in our gospel. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. I'll give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. We'll see that next week with Polycarp. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will save your souls. Gain your souls. Gain your souls. And that's, that's what we hear Ignatius saying over and over. He wants to attain eternal life. He wants to attain to Christ. Let's look at another scripture here. From Romans. Now, this is Paul's letter to the Romans. Let me make that clear. Paul's letter, it's not in your handout. I figure we've got Bibles and here. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Do any of you have trouble with some of what Ignatius is saying? It, it almost seems like he wants to glory in the suffering. Yeah, it hurts to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, this is what Paul had written. Um, 60 years earlier, I'm bad at the math, doing the subtraction there. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. Oh, I'm sorry. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When I started reading these, these texts that are from the earliest church and saw the faith of these martyrs, I, I mean, I really wrestled with it. Uh, we, we have... We have Origen, and we're going um, to look at this again, another portion from Origen, writing in, in that exhortation. I pray that our souls may never be disquieted. Remember, he's writing to younger believers saying, persecution may come. And even more, that in the presence of the tribunals and of the naked swords drawn against our necks, they may be guarded by the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You can hear the scripture in these men, in their writings, that they they have immersed themselves in that New Testament, as you bring up, Linda, you know, these guys have, and may be quieted when they consider that those who are foreigners from the body are at home with the Lord. Taking words like this that can seem like platitude, okay, and now applying it to real life real-life situations, I think is, is what's compelling for me in, in looking at these stories. And, and Origen went on to say, Matthew's exhortation, uh, yeah, and it's down there, Matthew 10, 28, we'll read it, was spoken to no others but 12. We too should hear it, though, since by hearing it we shall be brothers of the apostles who heard it and shall be numbered with the apostles. Let's read that together, Matthew 10, 28, up here in red. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body now. Any comments? Any, anywhere you're going? You know, I just I guess I just wonder about how God thinks, <laughs> which I do a lot, but um, in the old testament we see over and over again uh, heroes being rescued from martyrdom. When you think of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and, and many others, God seems to intervene in a divine way. Then comes the New Testament, and we're not seeing that. And I, I, I wonder the um, maybe at that point, the more um, powerful witness in the Old Testament to these uh, emperors was the, the miracle of their salvation. Maybe the more powerful message in the New Testament in New Testament times is the powerful witness of their martyrdom. I don't know, but it seems different to me. And, and, and I think what we get there, in what you're pointing out, is sometimes when the cry goes up to the Lord, the martyr is saved. Sometimes not. And I'll get to you, John, just a minute. But I want you, uh, just in quick, well, quick, go with that, and then we'll, we'll hear what. I think it's because New Testament stuff happens after the cross. And so everyone knows there's that promise, and that's what the martyr is holding up. I don't care if you this, that, or the other. He died for me, he loves me, he loves you. You need to turn, and I can die. Whereas in the Old Testament, it's not clear. And so to them, salvation is more like smaller and concrete because they don't have the cross. I mean, that I, I, I agree with you that, that, that the cross is crucial, okay, is, is the focus, is the center. 
I, w- I would, though, add that that Old Testament martyr, Isaiah, is one, and he's referenced in, I- in Hebrews 11, which is on page 1008. We don't really have time to go there. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, is a reference to Isaiah, whom we believe was sawn in two by Manasseh. Okay, so there's a whole listing in Hebrews 11, and we had that time. So, and those, those sacrifices, that they, they know blood sacrifice for the sake of, of their sins in the temple, the tabernacle, the temple. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's also God's timing because, and you mentioned this briefly, Peter was actually saved by the angels in jail. Right, right, he was. And now, then he later. He was martyr later. But yeah, yeah, later. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and Kevin? Last time we talked about John and yes. the world in oil. Mm-hmm. Okay, the mission had seen this pattern before, <laughs> and so rather than continue to extend these attempts at execution, he exiles John to Patmos. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, John dies, yeah. Which yeah. turns out to be God's will because it's at Patmos that John will get the time for reflection required to assemble Revelation. Yeah, absolutely. Go to the last, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I was just going to say, and sort of tying into all that, that uh, he was like, what, 70-something when he was martyred, mm-hmm. uh, Ignatius, and I think Polycarp was maybe even older. 80. And yeah, not that 86. it's great, not that it's great, I mean, you know, it never is okay, it's just that God had carried them through a, a long period of their life. There were many prayers, I'm sure, where he was sick, and he said, God, heal me from my sickness, and God did heal him, just like he delivered Peter mm-hmm. from the prison, and so... You know, it's just that there is a time that comes where he says, now is the time when I should die. Yeah. And, and, know, and, 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 the, so and the circumstances it. have shown it. This is the emperor has said, you're going, you're going to Rome to meet yeah. the beast. But even Jesus said, hey, God, please remove the cup if it's yeah, possible. It's, it's possible. So it's, it's not like there's anything wrong with saying, you know, God no. take us away, but accepting his will. We're know, listening, yeah, we're listening to... Ignatius, on the way, we don't know what he prayed. He may have said, Lord, if this isn't the time, let me your will earlier. We don't know that. Let's, I, I, we can't take time for that one or this. But, <laughs> beloved. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, how do I go back? I'm glad that, beloved, we heard this last week. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. But rejoice that you share in Christ's sufferings. Next week, we hear Polycarp, and i got to tell you, we're at 1029, and I'm sing our closing. You know, I was with, Partwell women were together in D.C., in Alexandria, Friday night, to, they're still together, I came back last night, but I was walking in the woods, 11 of us, and I was with one granddaughter, the one of two, who were hosting us, 25-year-olds were hosting the rest of the women at their little apartment in Alexandria, and we went for a walk in the woods, and I was with Shannon, and I had, I had taught Shannon a little bit when she was homeschooled about Polycarp. And, you know, so she was asking me, what's going on in my life? What am I using? And I said, oh, I'm so excited about this class. And I said something about Polycarp. She said, is he the one that said, I served him for 80 and 6 years. And, that, and she went on to quote what you're going to hear next week. <laughs> That's why you said I, he was older and I said 80. And I thought, no, Shannon just reminded me, 80 and 6. <laughs> but that these stories... Like Origen was writing to in that exhortation to younger believers, what are, what are we parents and grandparents doing to prepare our own kids and grandchildren for a day that could come? And and where you know the crucible where 
where, where does everything end up? Let's go to our closing hymn. I'm just, I love having this class in November. <laughs> Let's get there. Okay, will you sing with me? And when the body is still for long, steals on the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org. 